Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to The Shapes of Stories, a podcast with me, Lawrence Prestige, as your host. Stories come in all shapes and sizes, whether it be from our favourite books, our life experiences, or the day-to-day challenges and issues we face in the world today. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shapes of Stories of me, Lawrence Prestige, and happy 2021! Um, I know we're kind of in a situation now where we're kind of back into lockdown, but, um, you know, I'm glad that you've decided to tune in and listen to this fantastic episode, this first this first episode of the new year and what I guess we have for you today. It is the wonderful, the amazing <laughs> Gary Lineker. And um, yes, it was amazing talking to Gary. Um, I had to kind of pinch myself, to be honest, that I was talking to, to him. I sort of grew up watching him a match of the day since I was a child and um, obviously I'm very familiar with his football career as well. Um, so yeah, um, just amazing talking to Gary. We covered a lot of stuff. We talked about how he's been doing over this last year. We talked about um, his football career, um, talked about Lewis Hamilton and his Sports Personality of the Year award. Uh, we covered a lot of football, obviously, Bobby Robson, so many things that... Um, I have to share with you in this episode. So without further ado, that's enough from me. Here is my chat with Gary Lineker. Um, so Gary, what a year to become a 60 in a 2020. Many happy returns for a few weeks ago, obviously, but I guess you didn't get to celebrate your 60th the, the best way that you wanted oh. to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, there's nothing to celebrate about being 60. <laughs> wow, it's a milestone. Apart from the fact I made it to 60, that's about the only thing. <laughs> uh, so how, how has 2020 been for you, I guess? Like, it's been such a weird year. Well, I, I think I'm, I'm probably more fortunate than many um, in the sense that I could keep working. Um, obviously not at the start, but then football started again. So um, thankfully that's the case. I've got you know, so many people I know, so many friends, um, particularly ones in the perhaps hospitality world that have suffered so much. Um, mm. You know, but there's a lot of things we've missed in 2020. Um, you know, I love I love the odd holiday, which I've not been able to to go on. Um, mm. So I miss the sunshine. Um, miss seeing people um, a lot of the time. Obviously, we had a little window in the middle where you could see one or two friends and stuff in the summer. Um, but you know, that's been, that's been difficult. So, and at times not being able to see, um, the family for, for certain reasons. So it's, it's, it's been a tough year. It's been a, but much tougher for many, uh, other people than me managed to keep my health. Um, whereas many haven't. So, um, it's, it's, it's been a, a, a awful year. Um, I think in all sorts of different ways, um, you know, and here we are again, um, back in, back in another lockdown but at least we, I think we've got some kind of glimmer of of, of light at the end of um, this yeah. miserably dark tunnel to, um, yeah. with the vaccine coming in so hopefully um, hopefully they won't mess that up and get it out there. 
Yeah, I mean, this last year, it's kind of, I feel like I've been in a bit of a circus. I mean, there's a lot of clowns for sure, but I mean, we've kind of, we kind of just like, it seems like this never ending show. But like you say, hopefully now we're kind of seeing a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. And, um, you know, it's good to the, the football. I think it's really good that, you know, there's, um, it's allowed to carry on the, the elite football because I think that's such a huge impact, especially on people's mental health, just being able to kind of have that bit of an escapism. At first, I found it a bit hard, you know, not to, to, to watch without fans there. I don't know how you've sort of watched as a fan. Have you, did you find that a bit weird at first? Uh, very, it's very different. And I don't think any of us are, are trying to pretend that it's the same. Um, but it is better than nothing. And it's given us some entertainment over the, over the months, something to watch at home when we're, yeah. when we're stuck indoors. Um, yeah, it's a bit odd without a crowd. There's no question about that. And uh, um, I think I might even get a bit emotional when we do have a full house in it and being at a game again. Because, um, you know, you, you, it's funny because during these times, obviously during all times, you get clips on social media, etc., where you see old football games. Mm. And then you notice the crowd roar and you think, oh, that's odd. Because yeah. it's, be, it's become commonplace, so commonplace and so normal now to not have a crowd that then you go, then a bit of nostalgia and the crowd's there and the kind of big noise or... Yeah you know, the whole lot, whole of the crowd singing, et cetera. It just makes you realise how much we've missed it. And I think once it once it does return to normal, which it will, which it will, um, down the line, because I think everyone's desperate to get to a football match again. So, mm. um, but once we've got full stadiums again, it'll, I think it'll be a, it'll A, it'll be a sign that life's returned to normal and, and B, it'll be, it'll be a motive because we've missed it so much. Yeah, it's like when you see those kind of like on this day. I'm a Newcastle fan, I know you're Leicester, so we won't talk about the game at the weekend. Not many days then. <laughs> no, not, there's not not many. Not, not, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But even just, I think there was on this day, it was um, a few weeks ago, we saw Shearer pipe one in against Everton, you know, that, that yeah. one. And, uh, and just see that euphoric roar of the crowd and, just, you know, the Shearer celebration with the hand in the air and just those moments are special, really. And, um you know, really missing those those uh, amazing moments that we're that we're all missing. I know we 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 could have had we've done exactly the same thing the other day when when Telemans knocked it in the corner, couldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, hey, walked walked into sorry. that one. Walked sorry, into that one. No, no, walked, walked into that one. So how do you feel? Well, I guess we'll talk about we'll talk a little bit about Leicester if we must. Yeah. Um, I guess you know for a few years ago from Leicester winning the league, um, the year after I guess suppose was a bit inevitable in the sense of you know it was kind of you know. All changed the sort of dynamics of the squad. The winning title um, teams changed a bit, but how was that year? As just a, not only as the, the face and match of the day, but as a Leicester fan and Leicester boy, seeing you know Leicester do it, <laughs> it was incredible. I mean, it really was. Um, it was a miracle. It really, and it's funny because people tell me, "What's your best moment in the sport?" And my best moment in sport is something that, and I've obviously I've played at the top level for a long time. My favourite moment in, in, in sport ever is, is Leicester winning the league. I had nothing to do with it. Um, it was it was magical. I mean, I have three of my four boys support Leicester. And, you know, obviously they started the season well. They were getting so excited. But I knew we wouldn't. I knew there was no chance we'd actually carry on the goal. <laughs> the league. No chance. Um, hence the silly tweet that got me in my underpants. But... <laughs> Um, but then, then it came, and then we won at Man City, and you started to think, well, it's not impossible. And then, and then because Leicester were doing so well, all the games got pushed to a Sunday, 
Um, so I do most of them on Saturday, obviously, and then I always watch the football on Sunday. So every Sunday, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I used to sit down. The boys used to come over. We used to sit and watch, and they, they seemed to just keep winning one nil, one nil, two nil, one nil, and it was like, wow. And every game was purgatory watching it. Was <laughs> because the closer they got, the closer they got to winning the title, the more it mattered that they did, and the more the fear that they wouldn't. What would that mean, especially to my kids? And it just got. It was incredible. Um, and then, obviously, they actually won the title on a day when they weren't playing, when um, Tottenham were at Chelsea and um, Tottenham needed to win to stay in it. And, they, and Hazard bent that one in the top corner. And I was downstairs, and I'm tiny floods of tears. It, was, it still gets me a little bit. Um, and it's it, because it, it was just, the, for me, the biggest miracle in team sport, in any sport, anywhere, anytime. Um, because it's... It's like, you know, say um, West Brom escape relegation this season and then win the league next season. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's exactly what Leicester did. They came from miles back. They won seven of the last nine games, I think, to just beat relegation. And then the next season, they won the league. Yeah. And it was just, it was beyond belief. It was just magical. It really was. It was, um, you know, now they're up there again, and obviously the club's moved on, and it's got it's got quite strong now. But it, um, and this season, if ever there's going to be a season of an upset, it, it could be this one because mm-hmm. of the nature of no fans and no way, no home advantage, um, very difficult to keep your form, injuries, illnesses because of COVID, etc. So it could produce a random uh, winner this year, um, and if it did, it, it would be incredible. If it were Leicester again, <laughs> it would be ridiculous. But it is actually possible now, whereas I didn't think it was possible in 2016. Yeah. Well, speaking of winners, obviously a few weeks ago you hosted the Sports Personality of the Year award and Lewis Hamilton um, won it. And, you know, we, there's news he's going to be knighted and stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know how you feel, but I always feel there seems to be a bit of a, um, between the Lewis Hamilton and the public perception of him, there seems to be a sort of barrier between that. Like, I don't know if the public kind of, respect his his um unless you're a fan of the formula one they always personality just doesn't come across as relatable i mean how do you feel i wonder why i wonder why i don't know (laughs) um obviously he gets attacked a little bit because he lives in monaco but all most racing drivers live in monaco it's 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 a global sport it's not one where he's he's expected to live here you know they talk about the tax thing um it was fine when sir jackie stewart did it um or you know one or two of the others um um, so I'm glad he's been given the knighthood. I think it's thoroughly meritorious. He's, uh, he's quite possibly our greatest ever sportsman. People say, yeah, but he's in the best car. Yeah, but the best football is getting the best team. <laughs> yeah, That's how it works in sport. Mm. You know, it's like Messi plays for Barcelona, Ronaldo played for Real Madrid and Juventus. You know, that's, that's how it works. Therefore, they'll win more than anyone else, but be, they're there for a reason. Um, and he's a genius. There's no question about that, Lewis Hamilton. And um, he thoroughly, thoroughly deserves it. Um, he does a lot of good. And I, I even saw somewhere that he still is in the top 5,000 people who pay tax in this country with all the peripheral stuff. So um, he's, I've met him a few times. I, I, I like him a lot. I, I massively admire him. His work ethic is unbelievably good. Um, and he's, he's an absolutely brilliant driver. And he's proven that year in, year out. Yeah, absolutely. And it was great seeing you know, the work that Marcus Rashford's done this year on not just on the pitch but off the field as well. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was really—I I was discouraged to see how he was kind of met with resistance from 
the, the government and uh, you know and you also get people that are like the right wing critics kind of saying oh it's all a PR move and all this but he just you know we, you know people are happy to jump on footballers mm-hmm. and um, sort of like moan about how much money they make and stuff but when you see mm-hmm. someone like Marcus Rashford that's going out of his way to really make a positive difference into the environment he remembers his roots at the end of the day he remembers his roots where he came from with his mum yeah. and you know it was it was really sad to kind of see um, some of the reaction he got I felt well you always I mean there is negative reaction to everything but I think by and large Marcus has been massively um, given a massive amount of plaudits um, by the vast majority of the British public who appreciate what he's doing um, it's remarkable he's, he's only just turned 23 mm. I think um, to see what he's done to get government to make U-turns and and at least they did at least they did listen and they were turned whether it's you know uh, by Marcus um, so let's give him credit for that at least um, and he's he's actually made a serious difference and to do that at his age when also performing well on the pitch because obviously if he hadn't uh, in this period they'd have quickly jumped on his back the critics and said oh, he needs to concentrate on his football he's not you know he's taking his his mind off the ball, um, but he hasn't done that. He's been great on the pitch and he's been even better off the pitch with something even more important. Um, you know, footballers get a lot of stick and obviously we've seen in the last week or two um, players erring and going out and partying, etc. when they shouldn't mm. be. Um, they've made mistakes, which is undoing a little bit a lot of the goodwill that they gained during the first lockdown. When they, you know, Jordan Henderson got the captains together, raised loads of money for the NHS, Marcus Rashford. We saw a lot of stuff on um, with the players getting together uh, about racism, um, not just in sport, but in life. Um, so there was so much good. Obviously, you know, footballers are there. There's, there's hundreds and hundreds of them and they... You know, they're easy targets. They make, you know, they probably do stuff that other young men do, mm-hmm. um, but they have to have a, a degree of responsibility. And um, and some of some of the behaviour, particularly in the last few weeks, has been pretty unacceptable, but it is a tiny minority of them. Um, and, and we do forget, you know, we do forget they're very young men. I mean, you know, I've got four boys that are all the age of footballers now in their 20s. And, and you know, they... You know they have fun in life, but they, you know they, they're not footballers, so they're not there with someone with taking a picture of them at every move. And it's it's it's. I'm not trying to defend some of the actions in, in recent times, but but you know, young men make mistakes. Young men can be idiots. Oh, I know <laughs> that too well. Footballers, <laughs> but that's just young men across the board. You know, they they mature and they don't think things through properly. So I think sometimes we can be overly judgmental, um, yeah. but. You know, they are role models, though, um, whether they like it or not. It's not a choice. Um, it's, you know, they're given a talent and that's where they've got it. But I think by and large, most of them do a massive amount of good. Um, it's certainly in the community. Most of it you never hear about. Um, but but clubs are brilliant, generally, um, with local communities. Yeah, like I see that Roy Hodgson got a bit of stick for playing. I mean, you're, you're the expert guy. How do you pronounce his name? Because I'm going to butcher it. The, the captain of Palace, Miller... Uh, Miller Beovich. Miller, yeah. I got yeah. that wrong. Yeah, well, it's, it's something, something like that. <laughs> Giles Giles would know. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, do you think Roy was right to play? And he's the captain of Palace. He needs. To, I mean, Roy would have got stick if he would have lost that game. Um, I, I, I imagine, and the same um, with other managers, I saw Pep. So in public, they're not defending them, mm. but they're not going too hard on them. I would imagine behind closed doors, 
in the manager's room, um, they would be getting a severe ticking off and told how much they've let everybody down. Um, I'd be massively surprised if that wasn't the case. Um, it's it it can just exacerbate things if if managers go publicly and do that to players. It's 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 a balance of what it you know whether how much you do publicly and how much you keep behind closed doors. I would imagine. Um, I, I would imagine all the managers weren't um, apoplectic uh, <laughs> when they heard what their players were doing and, and, and gave them a proper grilling. Yeah, absolutely. I'm quite intrigued to know. Uh, actually, how much the players' sort of wages have changed since since you were playing? Because I guess you you were probably one of the most most you know most 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 paid uh, best paid footballers when back in your day in the world. And so how yeah, was I, that I was I was yeah. for a number of years, um, and I was um, and I it was very well paid. And I when I you know I was obviously at Barcelona, then I came back to Tottenham. I was one of the best paid players in the world, earning um, roughly about what a top player would now earn in a week. Um, in a year, uh, yeah. in a week. Not that I'm complaining. Um, you know, <laughs> obviously, I've, you know, making really, really good living. Um, but it's it's remarkable how it's it's moved on. You know, to you know, I think when I was at Barcelona, I was on about three hundred twenty grand a year, which oh, wow. is a lot of money. But um, but that is now, you know, a week's salary for Ozil. But it doesn't, you know. That's that's always been it. Whatever era you play in, it's it's. Mm. But the recent time, obviously, since the inception of the Premier League, it's accelerated massively. Um, and good and good luck to them. And um, you know, they. You can never justify, you know, you know, entertainers' wages. Let's call it entertainers. But people do mm. have a pop because it's footballers, and it gets mentioned more because they're footballers. I don't know whether that's because they're working class lads, and the people think, oh, they've done too well for themselves. You know, nobody ever complains really about big business people earning billions or mm-hmm. um, people that own newspapers, the same people that then criticise the players for earning too much money. Um, the, you know, other sports even, it's OK. Golf, it's fine. No one complains about the golfers. They earn the top players' own fortunes. Um, Formula One, we've talked about before. Um, basketball in America. Or well, let's take it away from there. What about the top actors in the world? They earn absolute mm-hmm. fortunes. The top singers in the world. That is the nature of sport and entertainment. If you're at the top of your field, you will get paid a lot of money. Um, and you can't justify that against, let's say, people in the NHS at the moment. It's, it's, it's a pointless, and, and even in my world, in television, where especially in football, where it's, it's you know, you get paid very well. I'm aware of that. Um, could I justify my salary against that of a nurse? No. No, they do a much more important job than me, but it's kind of how it is. Um, um, and it's, you know, it's what you do with it as well, I suppose, after that, that you can try and make a difference in some ways. But um, no, footballers obviously get well, seriously well paid, but they do tend to get reminded of it more than um, anybody else that gets seriously well paid. Yeah, it's, it's always something, uh, a footballer in particular, I don't know, even, even with Newcastle, whether it be Shelby or Callum Wilson, yeah. or Callum Wilson's on this a week, it's always a week, it's never what they make a year, it's always they're yeah. on this a well, week. It's, you know, it's probably 52 <laughs> times what they get a week. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what age was it you started, I guess, being on the books at Leicester when you when you started your footballing career? I was, about, I was spotted when I was about 12 playing. Yeah. Um, local f- football um, and then I went to train with Leicester so, um, after school on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, f- until I was about 16 then I had a trial um, and I was taken on as an apprentice 
turned professional when I was 18. So, and yeah, and then, I mean, it was, I never really thought I'd make it. Not really. I mean, I loved mm-hmm. it. It was a dream and I was driven, but I, you know, I didn't really have that much self-belief. But every level that I got to, I thought this would find me out. But every time I managed to cope and um, still score goals. And that carried on right through to England, obviously. Yeah. And did, did you... um? Did you always think that you m- might not make it then when you said you weren't sure that if you would make it? Did you oh, think no, that? I was, you... yeah, no, I was never particularly confident. Um, and it's it's funny, my dad, who passed away um, three years ago, two or three years ago, um, I, you know, we, we talked a lot in the last three, four months of his life because I was up and down to Leicester to see him um, all the time. And, um, and he'd seen an interview where I talked about the fact that I never really thought, you know, I thought I'd get found out whenever I got like in the reserves or the first team. And then it was England. And and we had this comment and I said, you know, did you think, what did you think? And he went, I always knew. I always knew you'd make it. I always knew. In fact, so much so. And it reminds me, I was, when I was, um, when I was 11, I passed the 11 plus, which was, the, you know, which you, you've got to be a certain age to remember. You know? <laughs> and I passed the 11 plus, which meant I could go to a grammar school. Um, but in the time that I took the exam to the time of getting the results, we moved house and we moved just outside the city perimeters in Leicester, just to the place called Kirby Muxlow in the county, which meant I could only go to one school and that school was a rugby playing school. And, and my dad said, I, I can't, I can't let that happen. Um, we're going to move, we're going to move back into the city. We'd only been there six months or so. So we're going to move back into the city so that you can go to a football school. So it took obviously a time to find a house. Um, and in that interim period, I lived with my grandparents for 10 months um, and ate a lot of cake, a lot of cake. And yeah, so that enabling me to go to a grammar school, not just because it was a grammar school, but because it played football. Um, and I never thought twice about it. But, you know, when I think back now, I think, gosh, that's a hell of a, hell of a statement, a hell of a <laughs> move when a kid's 11 years old. He must have seen a lot more in me than I did. Yeah. Was, was it your main sport as a kid, like the one you really enjoyed competing the most? I love I love both football and cricket. Cricket. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, they, it wasn't one or the other. It was football in the winter and then cricket in the summer. But yeah, of course. Yeah, I loved, I loved both, and I, you know, I honestly thought I had more chance at cricket. That oh, really? Like, yeah, I was, you know, I kind of captain Leicestershire schools right through. Mm. Um, you know, I was a batsman, and, and latterly I took to wicket keeping because I used to get broad fielding. Um, just wanted to get a bit more involved, but yeah, I was, yeah, I was, I was all right. I mean, I'll never know whether I would mm. have made it or not, but. Um, um, but it was, I, I loved it. But once football's opportunity came along, cricket kind of took a back seat. Um, I still played it. I played it right throughout my career. Yeah. Um, you know, the summer and stuff for the MCC and stuff like that. So, but um, yeah, I love cricket. Yeah. Did any of your kids want to kind of get into football or was it kind of a bit difficult for them? Because they had, I guess, really big shoes to, to fill in terms of being Gary Lineker's sons. Well, they all played a, a little bit. I mean, George, George, by his own admission, wasn't particularly talented, my audience. Okay. In fact, he was always saying that was when he was a tiny little kid, he said, I'm going to be a footballer, I'm going to be a footballer when I grow up. And, yeah. and then we started playing and stuff. And that was, he was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And one night, I put him to bed and he said, Dad, he said, I said, what? He said, I'm not going to be a footballer, am I? <laughs> I went, 
It's difficult. It's difficult. Um, Politely, so yeah. Harry, my middle two were pretty good players. Um, Angus was all right, my youngest, but my middle two, Harry and Tobias. Harry was Harry had loads of ability, um, lots of talent and speed, and he could score goals and stuff. But he didn't. He never loved it enough. He, he'd mm. go to Sunday some mornings and go, oh, "I don't really want to play today, Dad." Fair enough. Um, and Tobias was on my number three was on Chelsea at Chelsea Academy for two or three years he was a nice little footballer um, but he had that um, Osgood Slatters on his knees both knees he couldn't play for about two years and um, so that kind of did for him but I think unless they're unbelievably talented and unbelievably good it's better off they find another walk of life because <laughs> the comparisons would, would be would be very difficult for, yeah. for a long period of time. So I think it's fine. They're, the important thing is they're, they're they're happy, they're good kids, they're nice people. That's, yeah. uh, that's Were you one of those parents on the touchline going shouting on a Sunday morning? I was one of those Ow. parents on the touchline that hated every other parent on the touchline. Oh, really? Or doing exactly that. It was one of my, it's my pet hate in life. I saw so yeah. many things that were... And 99% of what parents shout on the touchline is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's wrong. They're given the wrong information. They don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, they, they instill fear into their own children. They, mm-hmm. they, they ramble a load of, don't mess about booty. It's like, shut up. Mm-hmm. I never said a word when I watched on the touchline, not a word. Um, and I, parents used to drive me absolutely to distraction. They, they don't know how damaging it is. I once saw a, a Bloat runner, and it was like a five-a-side tournament that one of my boys played in, and then we got to the semi-final or something, and and this father ran on the pitch to his own son, picked him up by the scruff of the neck, and was shaking him. This time, it's not funny that he's shaking him and saying, oh. "You'll never make it if you play like this." And I'm thinking, just, mate, this kid is not going to make it anyway. Not in yeah. a million years. Just let him enjoy it. Let me enjoy the game. You used to do my head in. I was yeah. so glad when they all finished school. I didn't have to put up with it anymore. Do you ever see the ones, I really feel sorry for the kids that have their, they're the goalie of the team and they have their dad standing behind that goal. <laughs> and you, and, you, and you, you, you hear the dad like going, talking about posture positioning and all this and it's like, the damage you must be doing to that kid as he's trying to play his goalie. I mean, must be I, mean I know they do it. I know they do it with the best intentions and they don't yeah. realise what they're doing but it's, you know, they, they're not helping. No. <laughs> they're not helping. Instilling no. fear into children is not is not great. They're not going to enjoy their sport. Yeah. Well, as as a Newcastle fan, I suppose I've got to ask you about a man very close to you, Bobby Robson. Um, you know, I saw that more than a manager, that film by Robson, a beautiful film, and you know, yourself in it and Pep Guardiola and um, Mourinho and Shearer and all the Ronaldo for Brazilian Ronaldo, all talking about um, Bobby Robson. And I suppose I was really interested to know about your relationship, not only just as a footballer, as someone that um, played under Bobby Robson, but as a, on a personal level as well. Oh, Bobby was, can't say enough good things about him. He was such a. He was such a lovely guy and such an enthusiastic bloke. And he was demanding as well at the same time. You know, you couldn't you know, he'd give you a little ticking off if you, if you strayed off course at any point. But he was uh, he's the kind of bloke you'd run through a brick wall for. Uh, and that was his thing. He wasn't particularly the most brilliant coach, you know, not a Pep Guardiola in, in that sort of thing. But he was, in, he was fiercely loyal to his players. He had a great understanding of what was a good player, which 
Sounds simple, but you'd be surprised how, how many managers have messed up by not seeing the talent that they've got. And he he wasn't easily shifted by the media or the press. You know, when things were not going so well, he'd stick with his world-class players. He knew that even when players had a dip in form, he was massive. That's when he was at his best. He was most supportive. And I had that once or twice in my career. And, and, and I know others had the same. Um, and, you know, he understood the game. And he was, he was just really encouraging. And he was just, and he was one of those people. It wasn't just about his football, but he's one of the great enthusiasts of life. Um, I remember when I did the documentary with him a long time before that particular documentary you're talking about, when he took me around St James's Park. I remember this, yeah. And, 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 he, and he spent fifteen minutes talking to me about these wooden doors on yes, the courtroom. Yeah. <laughs> You know, he had that kind of enthusiasm. And he was always like that. It was about anything. Yeah. Been, you know, there'd be some bird in the garden, feathers variety, yeah. and um, stuff like that, or whatever it would be. And he was he was a lover of life. Mm -hmm. Was one of the, I guess, most one of the uh, probably the most hardest moments for you in your career, would it would it be that penalty shootout with Bobby, with Bobby for England? Yeah, it's, it's the only thing I look back on in my career. I think regret's the wrong word because, it's, you know, we try our best, we just no regrets. It's just the biggest disappointment. The one thing I look back and think, if only, was if we'd have won that penalty shootout. Because I honestly feel we'd have been strong favourites in the final. We were, we were a good side. I think, you know, I've seen the game in its entirety now against Germany. I thought we were marginally the better side. Um, and it could have gone our way. And they were... A, Germany, they were a really, really good side as well. Um, mm. we, and we played really well. Um, so that's the, the only thing. And I know Bobby shares that. I had that conversation with him. Um, that it's the one thing he looks back on. And, it, and it's the same thing. Not every day. Um, but every now and again, you know, you see, you know, maybe playing, I'm maybe covering the World Cup for the BBC or something. Or, mm. And then there's, they'll be showing some of the old games and we'll see that. And you start to think, oh, God, we're close. It's like, yeah. you know. Chris Waddle hits the inside of the post in in, this, in extra time, you know, and it bounced out. If that bounces in or bounces to one or two of the players, Blatty or myself coming in, you know, we were that far from the World Cup final, and then then you're just ninety minutes away from footballing immortality. Yeah, um, and that's the only thing really. I don't, you know, people talk about Bobby Charlton's record, goal scoring record, so that you know it would have been nice, but it's not a big deal. But winning the World Cup would have been. It would have been. It's every now and again you just think, Christ, so close. Yeah, so close. yeah. I think Bobby even says it as well. He said uh, every one of the German penalties, you know, right, right in the corner, right in the corner. I mean, yeah. Peter Shelton gets a bit of snub um, because he didn't, you know, didn't save one. But it, it's kind of my fault because I rumour Peter Shelton and we've watched, you know, we'd spent two World Cups together and a European Championship together. We've watched penalty shootouts and. Um, and we, we were in the room and we were saying, if we, if we get a penalty shootout, why don't the keepers stand still and wait to see where the ball's going to go? Mm. Because there's always, like a couple of them are really down the middle and you'd guaranteed to save two. And that should be enough to win you a penalty shootout or at least to go close. So that was, <laughs> we decided to do that. Are you in between? I mean, it's his decision ultimately, yeah. but. Kind of take some of the responsibility, and if you watch the penalties, he went the right way on every one. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the more frustrating bit. Corners was perfect, mm. and normally that's not the case. It, mm. That is a rarity what happened. So, um, so that's you know, I'm 
defending Peter Shilton because he, you know, people think, my God, but every one of their penalties was right in the corner. <laughs> um, but anyway, there you go. It's a true yeah. story. Does that take um, a while to get over such a heartbreaking moment like that? I mean, like you say, you still some a lot of the time you're thinking about it, but at the time as well, when you came so close as a young professional footballer, was it? We do you have to be really mentally tough to get over that experience of coming so close? Well, yeah, it's, I'm still not over it. Unforeseen. <laughs> um, no, it's yeah, it was tough. It was tough, but at, at the same time, we knew we'd done ourselves justice. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, we we did a nation crowd. Um, we performed as best we possibly could. Mm-hmm. We were a good side. We played some good football. We showed some real guts and spirit and winning some games when we weren't playing necessarily that well. You know, the magical moment of Platz volley against Belgium. A couple of, you know, penalties coming back from Cameroon who were such a good side. Um, so there were, there were great moments. And we fought back even in the semi-final from going a really unlucky goal down. <laughs> free kick and then obviously coming back to draw in that one so we knew we'd done ourselves proud which was is I think the real disappointments the real letdowns are when you know you've not done yourselves justice you know so yeah. that's that's there's a difference yeah well so speaking of difficult times and speaking of guts and I can relate to this <laughs> uh, what about that time at, you know at England you had a bit of a, a dodgy stomach playing oh, for England one, yeah. well, I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. how did you was that before did you know like before that you weren't feeling well before the yeah, game I've like, not been very well all night I, I kind of um, I don't know whether it was like who knows what it was but um, whether it was a bug or whether it was a, some dodgy food or um, but I'd kind of been not particularly well through the night and I got up and it carried on a bit in the day and I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want to miss out. I, I, I was the kind of, most players are that, you know, you see players now rotated and stuff like that would do my head in. Yeah. Um, and I know I spoke to Shearer and Mighty, they're all the same. They would, you know, you just want to play and all this tiredness nonsense. You just, some some of the games when you're most tired, you perform your best. I mean, the game against Germany in the semi-final before I couldn't walk. Um, but somehow adrenaline kicks in, you get through it. But but anyway, so I wasn't very well. I kept it to myself, and then the game starts, and I start cramping up after about twenty minutes. And I thought, oh, well done. this is not good. And I held on to half time, and then I went in and went to the loo at half time because I thought I should be all right. And I come out the second half, ten fifteen minutes in, whatever it was, starts again, and the ball goes down the side, and I run over and I kind of sort of a tackle it's good much of a tackle you ever get from me and um, and I, as I slipped down it just I kind of relaxed and it just it's a bit gross but I yeah. thought, oh my god oh my god what do I do now and thankfully we had dark blue shorts on but and I, I'm sitting in the front if you ever look at the footage there's a bit where Gary Stevens comes in the right and then he comes yeah. in wrong my links what's wrong I mean, you can see me going oh, I've shit myself <laughs> And and then I'm shoveling it out of my shorts and doing like the doggy thing to try and get it. I could, the pitch was wet, thankfully, because it rained just before. So at least I could wipe my hands clean and stuff. But oh. uh, it was horrible. And then I had to carry on playing. And, and uh, funny enough, I got a bit more space after that. <laughs> and then of all things, then I, I'm cramping again and Bobby saw I was in trouble. So I came, he took me off with about 10 minutes to go. And every ground you ever play in the world, the dugout, or 99% of them, the dugout is on the side where the tunnel is. But at this ground in Calgary, no, the dugout was on the opposite Difficult. side. Of the yeah. So I had to go and sit 
on the on the benches with all the subs and stuff, and you could see them all just sliding away. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, but that was yeah. I think that might have been one of the worst experiences. Yeah, I imagine it's funny now. It's yeah. funny, but at the time, honestly, that tale. Oh no! Yeah, just wanted to bury myself. Well, no, I, I can. I, you've shared your experience. I'm going to share mine now. I can kind yeah. of relate. Relate. You know, I was. Um, I, I hadn't slept the night before, and um, I had a. I go go give a talk at a school about two and a half hours away. Got in the car, drove. I was like, I haven't slept. I'm gonna. I need to have energies for these kids and give this talk. So during this two hour, two and a half hour drive, I decide that it'd be good to drink some Red Bulls, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and so I have had a few Red Bulls and all that, and I'm giving this talk in the class um, to this in assembly to these kids. And um, yeah, c- coming towards the end, and I'm thinking, I'm in, I'm in trouble here. Like, my stomach, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Yeah. And then I thought I would risk, you know, uh, a fart. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was what I can describe as a bit of a shark that came out, and I was like, yeah. right, thank you, you know, it's happened. I just need to get to the toilet as soon as this assembly finishes. Did my try to rush to the end of my speech and like right, and then the head teacher comes and goes right now. We're gonna let you kids ask some questions while he's here, and I'm like no. <laughs> so another twenty minutes whilst I've like basically uh, had a bit of a shitting experience of my own. So I know I can appreciate yeah. <laughs> the difficulty yeah. of, of that. Um, yeah. So I let's talk. Shit happens. Shit. Shit happens. <laughs> so what? What? I guess what are the um. What's for you the, the highest moment of your career? I suppose apart from Leicester winning the league, but I guess professionally. Right? Yeah, apart from apart from Leicester winning the league, um, yeah. on a on a team basis, it was probably winning the FA Cup with Spurs. It's something I dreamed about as a kid, and I'd lost in the '86 final, having put Everton ahead against Liverpool. Um, so to win that was that was amazing. Um, on a personal level, the Golden Boot in '86 changed my life. Um, in in so many ways, you know, um, it was incredible, and you know, one or two games along the way, you know, hat trick against Real Madrid and um, four against for England against Spain. Um, so there's you know there's some 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 magical moments um, yeah. amidst the poo. <laughs> poo aside, pretty much. Yeah, poo aside, there's some yeah. <laughs> but I guess what what is it you know because I've. You know, Sunday league, you know, and the ball might hit my knee and go in. And even that just euphoric feeling of scoring a goal on a Sunday league to get an equaliser or win a game for your team is, is an amazing feeling. So I can only imagine, what is it like, the feeling you get when you score a goal in a big game? It's 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 very difficult to actually t- to put it into words. Um, I think it's like when you follow in England and, you, and suddenly they score a goal in, in a knockout game or something. And you know how absolutely bonkers everybody goes. Well, it's kind of yeah. like that times times 20. Yeah. Um, when it's yourself that's done it. It's And it's almost like an explosion of different emotions. You know, joy, disbelief, mm-hmm. um, um, relief is one as well yeah. that's often in there. And it's just, it's just that it's, it's almost indescribable, but it's... Um, you know, it's like the equaliser against Germany in the semi-final of the World Cup. I mean, it's it's hard to, to describe. It would have felt better if we'd gone on to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that moment, it was just like, the, just the complete the explosion of different emotions. Magical. Yeah. And I've got to ask, obviously we had some other sad news um, this year with the passing of Diego Maradona. I mean, yeah. 
and you did that amazing tribute for him and um, really nice words. I mean, what was what was he? I know Messi is again up there in terms of one of the best players that you've seen, yeah. but I guess in terms of you playing with and playing against, like well, from my generation, he was um, yeah. he was head and shoulders, well, his head and shoulders smaller than anyone else, but he was head and shoulders above everyone else when it came to playing football. He was he was unbelievable. He, he could do stuff that you know, I played with lots of great players for and against, but. Every one of those players was pretty much in awe of what Diego could do. He was that. He was, mm-hmm. he was that much on another level. It was just incredible. I mean, he's, it's not meant as a pun in any way, but his, his left foot was like he could manipulate the ball like he was using his hand. Um, and, it, and he has a little burst of pace, incredibly strong. So many similarities, actually, with Messi. I never thought I'd see another player that would compare with Diego, but um, but Messi certainly does. I think it's... It's very difficult to say who's the best because different circumstances, different people, different times. You know, and it, when Diego was playing, you could just kick lumps out of him, which they did. Um, the pitches were awful. You know, you're playing on terrible surfaces, whereas nowadays they're all playing on carpets and you're not, you still get a lot of people kicking you, but it's nothing like the levels. And once they've got a yellow card, they have to be careful. Um, so it encourages dribbling, and it's one, been one of the great rule changes. Um, but there's, there, there are so many similarities between them. They're both diminutive. They've both got that left foot. They can both beat people for fun. They both can score great goals and they can both um, assist and make wonderful passes. But so I think we, you know, in my lifetime, they're the best, the best two footballers I've, I've ever seen. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think I saw on your Twitter a couple. You might really yesterday actually. I think there was a, a wonderful video of Celtic versus Barcelona. And um, Scott Brown just goes in, <laughs> just just wants to kick Messi, doesn't he? Really, just stop it's him. Impossible in. Just, though. And yeah, then, Messi... Do you know what another great thing about Messi is? Yeah, um, he never dives. He doesn't no, dive. Yeah. He stays up, and you, they kick him, and he stays up, and he stays up, and he stays up until he has to be until you actually they do whack him. So um, you know, especially in the modern game where it just needs a mm. flick on someone's foot and they're flying on the floor. I think you know to see the best player in the world. Um, actually being honourable and trying to stay up is, I think, hugely encouraging. Yeah. What do you think winds you up more as a football fan, though? VAR or players diving? Which is the one, if you could get... <laughs> I, don't, I don't see that. There's not much diving. It's quite rare for a player just to dive in the air and without any contact whatsoever. Now, that, for me, is a dive. If they feel a little knock nowadays... And they go down. I understand it. I mean, I mm. I bought fouls in my career. I never dived ever. I, there's never a point where I thought, "Oh, I'm going to leap over." But I, there's definitely times in my career, especially when you go with goalkeepers, you just knock it past them, and you mm. can see if you can time it right to knock it past them, you you know they're going to have to foul you. Now that's a different thing. That's like buying fouls in basketball or whatever else it is. But actually, diving is you don't see that very often. The problem is we've got now is because of VAR, we're exacerbating the problem because now there's this microscopic look to see if there's any contact and it's taking it away from being a contact sport. So, of course, players are going to go down if they feel a little tap against their shin because if the referee gives it, they know they're not going to, you know, they'll see on their replay there's a, a modicum of contact when actually it shouldn't be enough to produce a foul. But the problem is, when they do actually try and stay on their feet, even if there's been contact, they don't give the penalty. So therefore, why why are they going to stay on their feet? We're not encouraging honesty. So it's, it needs a little bit of a look at. And I think the whole thing, it's not a bolt of VAR, but it is, 
it is exacerbated by VR because they can look at this microscopically mm -hmm. and see if there's a flick of a sock against the sock. And they go, well, that's it. That's enough not to mm -hmm. overturn the decision. So it's it's where it is. And I'm not quite sure what you know, how, to, how we get out of it. Um, yeah. Unless if they get rid of VAR, then you can probably do it, but they're not going to. So there's no yeah. point. It's just when you see a goal that's a goal happens and no one's appealing it, and it's like, wait, VR in progress, and the, the players just had a goal scored against them. Go, hang about, we might get away with this. So like, no one's uh, even appealed it, and it's like a toe offside or something. Yeah. I think they've done a little bit better in the last two or three weeks. I think they've obviously got together. I don't think there's any question mm. about this. They've got together and said, hang on a minute, we need to look at this. A, they're making the decisions quicker. They're not overturning many now. Um, mm -hmm. So I think they look more looking towards the clear and obvious error. And I think that's all VAR ever should have been for. Um, they've just got carried away with it and it's, it's become an extra referee. Whereas all you really ever needed was someone... It's like, I say what it should have been. It's like, you've got the referee doing the game. He should get one of these mates who perhaps does a bit of refereeing himself to be watching on his phone. He can be watching the game <laughs> like that. And then the game goes on. Like, mm. And then all of a sudden you go, oh my God. Hey, mate, 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 you've, you've made an absolute hell of that. This is it's the worst decision you've ever seen. Honestly, it's Maradona punching it in the neck. Yeah. Frank Lampard's three feet over the line, although we've gone quite a goal line technology. That's probably not the right analogy. But so I think that's what it should be for. It, it's difficult because where do you draw the line of how bad a decision has to be before it's a clear and obvious error? But I do think they've shifted a little bit in the last two or three weeks. And if they stick with that, I think it'll be better. Um, the other thing is the offside nonsense. Level is no longer onside it seems mm. they'd find a tiny bit I, I my thing on that is you look at one replay you draw a line across the pitch where they are and you can immediately see whether someone's offside or not mm -hmm. if you can't tell and you have to go to the dots and stuff it's it's not clear and obvious mistake it's level mm. therefore he's onside yeah. and um but uh, I, I don't know whether they'd help those answers or not but anyway <laughs> no, no, I, no. I get that yeah, uh, I think I need to ask you this because a few Newcastle fans have asked me to ask you this right. about um, Paul Gascoigne because I, th I think naturally when the news about Maradona came out, a lot of football fans in this country probably thought about Paul Gascoigne because he has been for, you know, for, for years and years he has been targeted about his you know off the field problems that he's that he's had. Um, I don't know if you have any sort of contact with Paul Gascoigne at the minute or how he's doing, but I mean how quite a lot. yeah, quite a lot. Yeah, how's, regular, how's he been? regular phone yeah. calls from, um, from Gaza. Um, he seems to be doing all right. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's always going to be a little bit up and down. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, you know, I've got a lot of time for Gaza. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's, he's obviously mildly bonkers, but he's in a wonderful, in a lovely way. And he's very generous and he's great fun. Um, obviously, I've known him for a, an awfully long time with very different personalities. But, um, you know, he it was, it was extraordinary to play with um, in many ways, not just for his ability, but the fun that you would have around him. Um, so you know, fingers crossed, he can he can continue along this uh, a path of um, of doing okay. Um, but right. I think you know, you know, life's tough after football for for Paul. Um, mm. But he's he's you know he has his ups and downs. But I think overall, he seems to be doing all right. Fingers mm. crossed. Yeah, I suppose it is for a lot of footballers. though, once you kind of have the end of your career, about what to uh, do next. It's yeah. it's it's a bigger issue than people think. Obviously, they get you know huge salaries, but with huge salaries usually comes huge spending. Um, football ends, the, the huge salaries stop. Um, I think the, you know, lots of players struggle when they finish. 
you know, there's only so many coaching jobs or manager jobs or punditry jobs in television, etc. Um, that leaves a, a lot without work. Um, the self-esteem can sometimes dip with with some of them, and they can have problems at home. I think the I think the divorce statistics amongst footballers from the age of 35 to 40 is something ridiculous, like right. 60, 70 percent. Oh wow! Um, and obviously then you know, half the wealth goes or whatever it is and then they might invest something in a business that doesn't work and all of a sudden things are not that good. So, you know, it sounds wonderful, but there's a lot of life after football because it's a young man's game. You're finished in your early 30s generally. Um, so, you know, lots of them do fine, but lots don't. Um, mm. um, and it's, it's, not, it's not that easy. Obviously, with the amount they're earning these days, you would hope that, They've got some sensible people around them and they invest sensibly. It's not all about money. It's about missing the game as well. But it obviously it does help. So it's it's mixed. Some some cope with it very well. Others really do struggle. Yeah. And it's how long have you been doing Match of the Day for now? How many years? Oh, well, Des left in 99. So 99, okay. Um, I, obviously, I've been presenting since 96 at the beginning yeah. as this kind of number two. Um, so yeah, a long time. Yeah, was that something you had an eye on whilst you were playing? Like, or maybe I, you know, I'll get into this, something you're interested in. Well, like, even when I played, I always knew what I wanted to do. Um, yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't actually think oh, I'll be presenting match of the day in a few years' time. But I, I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I trained accordingly. I used, you know, write newspaper columns for the, um, for the Observer and um, and stuff just to learn to write I did a lot of radio Radio 5 Live in the early days when I was pretty hopeless but it was a good learning curve um, and then broke into television so I, I knew what I wanted in fact that you know used to nickname I think it was Italian I too Gazza and Waddle used to call me um, Junior Des <laughs> I think it was the grey hair that were coming <laughs> so yeah well I, was, I saw I think I don't know if it was about a year ago where you you, you Shearer and Wrighty were kind of doing your top players in certain positions for you know for the Premier League history and yeah. I think there was the best striker I think you went on Ree and Shearer and Wrighty both went for Shearer and still stick by still still stick by that as a Newcastle fan I kind of yeah Henry couldn't head a ball I always <laughs> well, you obviously, obviously I had to wind him up a little bit but um, it's you know, <laughs> They were both great in different oh, ways. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as goal scorer, I would say Alan, Alan was, if we had just been called goal scorers, but if it's called yeah. strikers, that kind of suggests footballers. And I yeah, think the play, better player, yeah. In terms of, uh, of ability, but, you know, listen, they're both great. Alan, Alan yeah. was an unbelievably brilliant striker. Um, Thierry Henry was also a brilliant goal scorer, but, but he was such a beautiful footballer as well. So that's mm-hmm. why I edged it for me. But, yeah. And you can't let him have it all his own way. <laughs> <laughs> He's used to it too much up, up north, I think. Um, but then again, I, ha- I have got a story, and I'll forgive Alan for this. I've got a story about Shearer. The first time I went to St. James's Park, it was my 13th birthday, Bobby Robson managing the team. Um, my dad and my mom drove us up there. I mean, it was Newcastle versus Charlton Athletic. So, so Charlton in the Premier League, that's how long ago it was. Um, so yeah, we won 2-1. I remember Lauren Robert and I think Shearer might, might have got a goal. And, you know, I really wanted to meet Alan Shearer. And, um, you know, all the players are coming out after the game. All the Newcastle fans were like, no, you've come from Oxford. You know, you go go, go that side because this is where the away players come out. So, OK, went went there, met all the Newcastle players coming out. You had Kieran Dyer, Bellamy, Shea Given and Solano and all these great players. And then um, Shearer was kind of going out this other way with a gate. And my dad, he ran over there and he was with his Mrs. Shearer and his um, 
my dad was like, we've come from Oxford, it's my son's birthday and all this. And uh, But his, his missus wanted him to get in the car, you see. He said, no, come on, you need to get him to cheer. He sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, sorry, mate, in the car. They blanked you. Yeah, well, I was froze. He blanked. He, he kind of looked to my dad and said, "Sorry, mate," and shrugged his shoulders. But I was just frozen in awe, just that Sheer was in the distance of me. But, I'll um, tell yeah. him on Saturday. I'll tell him what a horrible bloke he was. To yeah, so you broke a thirteen-year-old's <laughs> birthday wish. Uh, hey, yeah. yeah, my dad said it was probably his missus's fault. To be fair, it's usually the way. Get in, say, get in the car, Alan. <laughs> uh, um, so, um, did you get? Do you get to talk to Sheer much about the way Newcastle are at the minute in terms of? I mean. Everyone knows he's kind of. Well, of course, about, of course. You, we, you know, we spend a lot of time together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess. How do you feel, sort of, as a someone that's kind of neutral well, it's, about it's the running of Newcastle? Probably not completely fair of me to tell you everything he says. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I guess yeah, no, what's Gary Lineker's opinion? No, no. Obviously, he's um, he's frustrated, like all the Newcastle fans are. They, you know, the, it's 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 such a giant of a club in many ways, but it's it's not got that stature in terms of trophies and stuff and success on the field that that obviously it probably deserves. So yeah, I think the frustrations there are probably the same frustrations that the fans have got with the owners, etc. And you know, and it's he understands probably how difficult it is for for whoever the manager is. If you know, um, it's 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 a difficult one, isn't it? I think he he'd like the fans as well. He'd like to see them, you know, try and play a bit more. Expansive football, lead style, if you want. But just if they did, would they capitulate and end up in the bottom three? Who knows? It's it's tough because ultimately, you know, it's a, it's about players. Mm-hmm. Football's about players. We always, we always get carried away about tactics and managers and this and that and the other. And the, obviously, the best managers get the best out of the best players. But it is about players. It's about mm-hmm. players, their abilities and their attitudes. And if you've got the best players, generally you'll unless you've got an idiotic coach there generally you'll do the best so I think they're, they're you're looking at them they're you know they're they're a bit short on being a team that can challenge for Europe or the top half at the moment you know at least at least half a team of, of real talent they need yeah. but that needs big investment and they've not really had that and when they have they've kind of not spent it it does in football it's all about how you spend your budget mm. whatever that budget is and it's recruitment is so vital. If you get recruitment right, if you get seven out of 10 right, then you've got half a chance. If you're getting three out of 10 right, you're in trouble. Yeah, I think with Newcastle... If you get none right, you're in desperate trouble. Well, yeah, I just think as a, as a Newcastle fan, we just we find it baffling how Mike Ashley, the owner, was so reluctant to back Rafa. And now we've got Steve Bruce in, whoever, you know, yeah. whatever anyone's opinion on Steve Bruce isn't for here or there, but he has backed Steve Bruce compared to how he did Rafa. You know, Alan St. Maximum, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser. He's he's brought some 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 decent players in, but um it's just like why didn't you back Rafa? Why why couldn't you back Rafa Benitez when we had this? Well Rafa's clever as well. I mean, uh, you know, Rafa's not daft, so um, yeah. um it's I, I, I don't know. I'm not a manager. I've never been a manager. I, you know, I see footballers. I love footballers, and I, I see managers that I want to play for and stuff like this. And and I love you know the game. But unless you're actually on the inside of things, it's really hard to know what's really going on. What's yeah. really going on? But I think there's, you know, I can understand the frustrations of the Newcastle fans. Um, I really can. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's it, it's not easy. But when you know. Hopefully it'll turn for you at some point. You'll get a Leicester moment. That's what we need. We need just, that Leicester moment. It gives everyone hope, though, that Leicester moment. It you, does. If yeah. you'd have said that, you know, 12 months before, 
mm-hmm. I'd have thought you were stopped. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you never know football, and that's the that's the beauty of it. Um, so so keep the faith. Keep the faith, absolutely. Keep the faith. <laughs> and I mean, how do you see some of these younger managers coming in, like managing the big teams like Arteta, Solskjaer, Lampard? Are they? I always, my mate, I have lots of mates that are Man United fans. I do give them a bit of banter about they're it. They're right. They're doing a really good but, job. You know, they're right at the top of the league at the moment. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, it's so easy. All we ever do, isn't it? The team gets three or four bad results and we attack the manager. That's happened to Solskjaer a few times. Um, but he's, he's done all right. And he seems, you know, you look at that United team and at the reactions after games and they seem to have a real togetherness at the moment. And, and I'll go back to my other point. They've got some very good players. Very, very <laughs> Fernandez. good players, you know, they have. And they've actually they've had loads of stick for their recruitment for and they've got it wrong for a long time. But you know, in the last three years, I think they've shifted it a bit. Lots of younger players, some English players, some not. But you know, looking a bit more to the few, and they've got it right. They've got they've had some good buys. Um, and Bruno Fernandez in particular. So they're doing great. Frank Lampard. If they get rid of him now, it would be stupid, in my opinion, because he was never going to be like run away with the league this season. Because when you spend so much money on so many players at the same time, it takes time for some of those players to adjust. It takes time for the manager to know what his best team. He's got to look at this, look at that and the other. All in all, they're doing okay. They've had a little bad run now. It's a blip. They'll bounce out of it and go again. Um, If they get rid of Frank now, then where they're going to go? Somebody, you know, I think he's got the makings. He showed it. He did all right. People say he's got no experience. No, he hasn't got much. Neither had Pep Guardiola when he started at Barcelona. <laughs> He'd had one year or two running Barcelona's reserves in the, the, the do play in the second division. A bit like Frank doing Derby County, not the same club, but, you know, so he's doing all right. Steam General's doing all right. Rangers, they're showing real promise. Yes, they've been because they've had such incredible careers they've been given jobs that perhaps they wouldn't ordinarily get but you know I see them doing okay you know and football's so fickle you wait Frank wins the next three games hey, this will all be forgotten well, look at um, Arteta I hope, I hope <laughs> Brown sticks with him we know that Chelsea have a history of not being very patient um, but what's the point of investing that much money into Frank's thinking and plans mm-hmm. on young players on very young players that need time, what's the point of then just bailing out halfway through when you're not doing that badly? If they're in the bottom four or five, you could sort of understand it. And the same with Arteta. You know, you pin faith in someone, you just give him a chance, go with it, you know. <laughs> so that it's, it's, but it's not a patient game. And, and fans think they all know best. And the truth is, none of us know best, and that includes me. You don't really know what's going on the inside of a football club. But give them time and then then judge. Obviously, if if things go horribly wrong and you're in the bottom three or some big club, and then then things have to be done. Mm. But by and large, I think um, a bit more patience uh, wouldn't go amiss. A bit more patience, and I I guess I don't know if you could put your neck on the line and say who you fancy for the league this season. You're able to. It's going to be tight. If, I I I. I think we, if there's ever a season that we could have a random winner, it's this one because of mm. circumstances, etc. Um, it's very difficult to predict. Um, I, if Man City look to, I think we'll we'll be very close. Um, and Liverpool, obviously, I thought, I still think Liverpool will win it, um, um, probably from City. Um, Manchester United, I think, could push them. 
uh, get closer. I think it's probably still a little bit early from them. But you know what? When you get a bit of belief and a bit of confidence and you get on a roll, things can happen. Um, and um, hopefully it'll be Leicester though. Yeah, I was going to say, you didn't say, you didn't, you, you didn't say Tottenham or Leicester. Tottenham, I think they've got an outside chance with well, Mourinho. They have, they've got an outside chance. They're probably, mm. you know, they're probably a bit short, really. Mm-hmm. Um, ex- brilliant up front. If anything happened to either Kane or Son, that would be difficult. But, you know, they're making progress. Um, he's brought in some good players. He plays his way, Joe's saying, we know that. But it's a way that can can produce successful um, pr- successful clubs and bringing um, trophies so we'll have to wait and see but um, I still think it'll be City or Liverpool though mm-hmm. Yeah well, I mean one question lots of people want me to ask you I say, I've got, I'm going to talk to Gary Lineker what do you want, what, what, what do you want me to sort of say and I say, <laughs> say what uh, <laughs> what's your favourite crisps what are your favourite crisps <laughs> that, is the, that is the question yeah. that, I, that yeah. most people ask me to ask I know you. it's the question I get asked more than anything else <laughs> Um, yeah, it's salt and vinegar, obviously. Salt and vinegar. Well, we had yeah. salt and vinegar Genuine. back in the Genuine. day. Yeah. yeah. Love salt and vinegar. Yeah, salt and vinegar. Do you ever, are you, I guess you get your Christopher, you have like a lifetime of your walkers just <laughs> send you them. I, I don't get sent a fair yeah, amount. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you're never like in a supermarket down the crisp bar and someone, someone's well, got I still, you know, I still like... occasionally do, but you know what? When I put one in my um, in my basket or whatever it is, I always feel a bit embarrassed. Yeah. Because like people walk by and they go, Oh, yeah. yeah, I was going to say they must <laughs> go. Oh, crisp. of course, got, got you, Chris. Uh, yeah, yeah. I never buy any others. Then only walkers, obviously. Yeah, of course. And uh, I guess to, to finish, Gary, how would you like to see us as a country emerge from uh, COVID nineteen? Oh, soon, hopefully. I, <laughs> I think you know. I think we've everything now needs to be thrown at the vaccine. I think we've all got to you know. Hopefully, everyone get together on this. Um, I think there's been a lot of people volunteering to try and help. Let's roll it out get it out there and I think that's the only way we're going to return to normal because we've not been good enough in the other ways in terms of testing and tracing and stuff and um, stuff like that and we've been late to a lot of things and it's desperate times but hopefully hopefully the vaccine is the light at the end of the tunnel and, and hopefully spring maybe we can gradually return to normal yeah well, Gary it's been an absolute pleasure talking yeah. to you today do tell oh, yeah. do, do tell Shearer off for me but I'll forgive him Thank you. Cheers. 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 So what a way to start 2021 here on the Shapes of Stories podcast. Uh, I want to thank Gary Lineker for coming on. Um, yeah, really amazing uh, chat that I had with him there and um, just a really nice guy and you know, best to him for 2021 and hoping that we get to see, you know, fans back in the football stadiums and uh, and everyone getting back to some kind of normality soon. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter at the Shapes of Stories on Twitter. That's at Shapes of Stories. You can follow me on Twitter at LPrestige7. You can follow me on Facebook just under Lawrence Prestige on my page there. And you can follow me on Instagram under Prestige Books. Uh, but thank you so much for tuning in, guys. Some more fantastic episodes coming for you very, very soon. And yeah, take care and um, see you again soon.